Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. members to attend should you like to I'm not asking you to come it won't be very exciting it's very brief it's just about reappointing trustees and looking at accounts so you know I'm not promising you entertainment but there's always two or three you like to come if you'd like to you can do that if you're a church member in two weeks time right we're continuing in Joshua this morning we've got two left this week and Paul next week will conclude the service and I said two weeks ago we were going to look at covenant covenant and what it means I said covenant meant a binding relationship of unbreakable faithfulness and you see the term covenant nowadays most usually in lease agreements you have a landlord and a tenant and they covenant with each other they promise to do certain things and those are written in the agreement that's covenant and if you make covenant you keep it at all costs and we saw last week no we didn't two weeks ago What happened at Ai when they broke covenant and disaster came? And then Joshua sorted out the problem after that. And we're in Joshua chapter 8. And they have attacked Ai again where they met disaster two weeks ago. And they have conquered Ai. And now we join the text, verse 30 of chapter 8. This is our text today. Let's read together. Joshua then built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. And there, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priest who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. And half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Now, it's not stated in the text itself, but the NIV and the ESV, for example, they both have a subheading above this section, which you saw up there, the covenant renewed at Mount Ebal, because that's what's going on here. They're renewing covenant. And if you were a Jewish reader you'd immediately understand what's happening because there are four or five references in these few verses. It says, as Moses had commanded or as is written in the book of the law. And if you've grown up with this stuff, you know exactly what he's talking about, but we might not know quite so well. So we have to go back to Deuteronomy, the book before this, where Moses twice instructs exactly what is happening here in Joshua 8. On these two mountains, Gerizim and Ebal, it's in Deuteronomy 11, and then more fully in chapter 27. When you have crossed the Jordan into the land, the Lord your God is giving you, Moses says. Firstly, set up stones on Mount Ebal. Don't use any iron tool on them. Build an altar with the stones. Sacrifice burnt offerings, fellowship offerings. And he says, coat the stones with plaster so you can write on them all the words of the law. That's the first thing. And the second thing, Moses says to them, you've now become the people of the Lord your God. So when you have crossed the Jordan... He says half of the 12 tribes of Israel are to stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. 
and he names those tribes. And the other half are to stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses. So they listen to each other in turn from across the valley between these two mountains. And then the priests together recite in a loud voice a list of curses. Cursed is a man who makes an idol or who dishonours his father and mother or cheats his neighbour. And all the people call out each time in reply, Amen. So everything Joshua does in chapter 8 here is as Moses has commanded. When you've crossed the Jordan, do these things. And although as Moses had commanded, there are blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, just as it says in verse 34. Nevertheless, it also says just before that in verse 33, these instructions that Moses had given were to bless the people of Israel. This is to be done for their good. Both the promises of blessing for obedience and the warnings of curses for disobedience, both are to be shouted out loud for their good so that they will know this is covenant, so that it couldn't be clearer, so they can choose blessings rather than curses, so that they who, as Moses has just reminded them, are his people, can choose to obey the Lord their God and to be blessed as a result. And I just want to step back a bit and think about two things that are going on here that are very significant. Firstly, the timing of what they're just doing. See, they've crossed the Jordan. Hooray! They've seen Jericho fall. Hooray! They both things that can only happen, these miracles, because God's with them. And then they're humiliated at Ai when they disobeyed God and broke covenant. Disaster. And then they deal with it. And then they conquer Ai because God was with them once more. I've delivered Ai into your hands, he says. Hooray. You see, you could plot a graph, couldn't you? Of total correlation between, on the one hand, God being with them or not. And on the other hand, glorious success or miserable defeat. You see, they've tried both, haven't they? And you wouldn't need to be an expert statistician to analyse the results. It's blindingly obvious. And so now, well, it's a bit like Spotify or Amazon Prime or Disney Plus, any number of online services you can sign up to. You get it free, don't you, when you sign up? For a month, that is. You get a free month and then you cancel in good time before you have to pay. That's how it works, isn't it? Except you forget, don't you? Who's done that? Who's forgotten? Yeah, Lots of hands. That's what, well, actually, that's what they mean. That's their intention, that they get you that way. Maybe I'm a cynic. But in theory, in theory, the free month is there so you can try out the service. See if you like it. Find out just how good it is before you commit. Then at the end of the free month, you'll be so pleased with it. Oh, yes, of course you want to continue and pay. Try before you buy. Well, it's a little bit like that here, if I can say so without being irreverent. It's as if God is saying to Israel, you've had your free month. You've tried it both ways. You've tried it with me. You've tried it without me. You've seen how it works. You've seen what it's like when it doesn't work. Now choose, Israel. It's time to commit. Now that you're in the land at last, it's time for you to embrace all my goodness, all my blessing, by wholeheartedly, unreservedly renewing covenant as my people with me, your God. That's the significance of the timing. And the second thing is the location. See, Mount Ebal is about 20 miles from Ai. But there's a reason they've come here to these two mountains rather than some other mountain that was closer. I want to show you some pictures. This is a view, the top one is a view looking up the valley, the valley of Shechem, between the two mountains, Gerizim on that side, Ebal on the other side. 
And the picture below it, that's an aerial view, obviously. You've got the two dark bits there, the mountains. Then in between all the grey stuff, that's all the building and development running up the valley, just as you can see there. But if we come down to the next picture, there you are. This is Google Earth, so you've got a bit of uh, contours. You can see this time it's Ebal on that side and Gerizim on the other side. But you see the shape of it running through the valley. Let me read the words of a traveller in 1879, a man called J.W. McGarvey. He writes, it's interesting to know the spot chosen by God for this reading of blessings and curses and the law, it's a vast natural amphitheatre in which the human voice can be heard to a surprising distance. There's a deep semicircular recess in the face of Mount Ebal and a corresponding one precisely opposite to it in Mount Gerizim. That's what you see there. He says, no man with his eyes open can ride along the valley without being struck by this remarkable formation. And then he did, he and his companion, they did an experiment to confirm what many travellers had already said, that two men positioned on opposite slopes of the two mountains, a mile apart, they could be heard by each other and their words could be distinguished. And when you realise this, you start to appreciate just what a spine-tingling experience this must have been for the Israelites to take part in. You see, it's like big screen cinema. It's like Technicolor screen. It's like Dolby surround sound. Or IMAX or 4DX or super screen or whatever the latest technology is in the cinema. You see, God is giving them the biggest of the big pictures. It's like sensory overload. First six tribes, boom out the blessings of God from Gerizim on one side. The other half bellow back the Amen. And they, then they bellow the curses and they shout back Amen. And the Levitical priests in the middle, they, they shout it out, they say Amen to what the priests say. And the voices of the people and the priests echo around this natural echo chamber of sound. And the point of all this, God is saying, remember this day. Remember that day when we made covenant together, when the promises of blessings for obedience and warnings of curses for disobedience, they were pronounced. And Israel, you accepted both. Remember Israel, this is covenant. There's nothing more serious or important than this. I'm giving you, God says, this incredible visual aid, this spectacle to write it on your hearts and minds so that you will not forget the covenant we've made this day. And God wants them to remember because he wants them to get it right so that he can bless them in every imaginable way. You read it in Deuteronomy 28. He says, you'll be blessed in the city, you'll be blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your basket, your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed when you go out. Blessings, blessings, blessings. It goes on and on in Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will establish you as his holy people if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all peoples will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. The Lord will open the heavens of his storehouse and pour out his bounty if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them. And in Deuteronomy 30, Moses finishes setting out the covenant with his people, which is what they're renewing here in Joshua 8. And he says these words, he says, This day... I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live 
and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. Choose life. Couldn't be more serious, could it? Israel, the wise choice couldn't be more obvious, could it? I plead with you, Israel, don't be a fool. Choose life. That's the heart of God. He's not trying to take from them. He just wants to bless them. If only they'll be wise and obey him. And you hear the same heart in a different context in Isaiah 48. He says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the ways you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands. Your peace would have been like a river. Your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If only. Because when you break the covenant, you miss the blessing. It's that simple. I long to bless you, God says, but it's your choice. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus says to the Jews, Matthew 23. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. But you were not willing. You see, God loves covenant because it involves at least three things that absolutely core to his nature faithfulness and righteousness and blessing you see covenant is an expression it's an extension of the heart of God it's who he is he will always 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 be faithful the promises of God will never fail it's not even an option see God doesn't keep his promises because he decides he's going to it's far bigger than that He keeps them because that's who he is. He can do no different. There's no other possibility. God always keeps his promises. See, I love it. Moses, who never entered the promised land, he can still say to Joshua, when you have crossed the Jordan, go to Mount Ebal, build an altar, proclaim blessing. Not if, but when. He knew Joshua was getting there, you see, because God had said it. Joseph knew the same. His last words to his brothers, Genesis 50, he says, God will surely come to your aid and take you out of Egypt to the land he promised to give you. So swear to me that when that happens, you will take my bones with you. See, they belong in the promised land, not here in Egypt. He knew, you see, he knew they were going to go. And sure enough, almost the last words of the book of Joshua, hundreds of years later, it says, Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem, right here where we are between these two mountains. See, for every promise God has ever made, there's a time for its fulfillment. You and I might have to wait a long time. We might not understand what's going on while we are waiting. But never, ever doubt if God has said it, it will happen because God is not a man that he should lie. And Joshua, Joshua knew as well. (laughs) The end of his life, Joshua 23, he says, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know, with all your heart and soul, not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you, not one has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. That's what he says. And if we take away just one thing from the book of Joshua, it could be that, that God will always be faithful to his promises because he'll always be faithful to himself, to his own nature. The faithful God who keeps his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Deuteronomy 7, 9. And right there in that verse, we see too the two other aspects that are central to God's covenant, central to his nature, as well as faithfulness, we see his righteousness 
and blessing, his desire to bless. You have to keep his commands because all of his commands are right. That's where righteousness lives, in his commands. And then that's when you receive his blessing. Because you see, this covenant is one of love. It's intended for your good. But if you break covenant, if you're unfaithful, you reject his righteous commands, then much as he desires to bless, he will not bless evil. Instead, there are the curses that are also promised in the covenant. They're right there alongside the blessings. Every time Moses speaks of them, either or, you choose. So that was 3,000 years ago. That was God's covenant with his people then, the Israelites. What does their covenant with God then have to do with me today? Well, simply, God is still seeking to establish his covenant today with every person on the planet. He reaches out his hand to every one of us with the offer of covenant. The same offer that we should irrevocably commit ourselves to him to be his people so that he will be our God, that we will obey him and that he will be with us and he will bless us. See, his heart hasn't changed one bit. Faithfulness, righteousness, blessing. His hand is outstretched. If you take it and make covenant with me, he says, I will surely make covenant with you. I'll always be faithful to you and I require you to be faithful to me and to be righteous. But there is a difference today. There's a massive difference. We read these words in Hebrews 8. I think it's the longest single quotation in the New Testament from the Old. This is Jeremiah 31. Let's read these words. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It won't be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. It's a new covenant, God says. It won't be like the one before that we've just been reading about and talking about. Now, it's the same in some ways. It's still a covenant that expresses God's nature. It's still a covenant of faithfulness. For anyone who accepts this covenant offer, God says, I will be their God, they will be my people. That's the same as before. You have to commit to him. Submit to him, obey him. You have to faithfully follow his ways as your God, just as he'll always be faithfully committed to you. That's as before. It's still a covenant where righteousness matters, where his commands matter. But God says it's different now because he'll put his laws on our minds and write them on our hearts. We will want to obey him from deep inside. We'll have a new power to obey him from deep inside. It won't just be a question of choosing to obey or not because of what we'll get from it. It's much more than that. And it's still a covenant of blessing. Only the promised blessings this time aren't to do with harvests and children and crops and prosperity. It's something far greater. We will all know him. Every one of us, from the least to the greatest, we will all know this awesome God for ourselves. Not as someone unapproachably distant, but as a loving Father who is intimately close. So it is a similar covenant to before, only it's very different. But here's the big thing that's different. This wasn't here before. This covenant 
It's a covenant of mercy. Before God says, when my people did not remain faithful, I turned away from them. I punished them for their disobedience and their wrongdoing. But now, there's none of that here. Now God says, I'll never turn away from them. For I'll forgive their wickedness. I'll remember their sins no more. That never happened before. Oh, their sins were covered. They were set aside by the blood of animals killed in sacrifice. But these sacrifices, the writer of Hebrews says, they could never really take away sins. That would be impossible. But now, somehow all our wrongdoing can be forgiven. All our sins can be forgotten. You think this is too good to be true. Where does, where does this mercy come from? We get all the benefits of keeping covenant more than ever before, yet the penalties for breaking covenant are somehow removed. They're not there anymore. How can this be? How can I choose this? Moses said, choose life. This is even better. How can I choose this? Well, there's only one access point. One access point to this covenant is the cross of Jesus Christ where he died to pay for the sin of every man, woman and child on the planet. And the only way to access this covenant of mercy and all the blessings that flow from it is to come to the cross of Jesus Christ to confess your sins, to receive his forgiveness and to start a new life. And if you want to accept God's offer of mercy to make covenant with him, to grab hold, to shake his willingly outstretched hand, to seal the deal, you come to the cross of Jesus. That's the only place where God will meet you and shake your hand and embrace you as his son and his daughter. God gave the Israelites a visual aid, didn't he, to help him understand the old covenant, the seriousness of it. He gave them those two mountains where they recited the law. That's a visual aid to remember. God gives us a visual aid too, to help us understand this new covenant and the mercy of it. He gives us the visual aid of his son nailed on a cross to die, where we should die for all the commands we've broken. But he gives his son instead. So that instead of dying, we can live. We can choose life. Oh, you still have to choose. If you want to make covenant with him, you have to choose to accept his offer of mercy. You have to choose that he will be your God. That you will be his people. That you will belong to him. You choose to lose your life, to give it to him. But you know, it's no loss to lose what in the end is worth nothing. To gain that which will always be worth everything. And you might ask, why is this the only access point for Jesus to die on the cross? Well, the Bible doesn't actually talk about making a covenant like we do. In these verses from Jeremiah we read, God doesn't actually say he will make a new covenant, although that's a translation. What he says is, he will cut it. That's the word in the Hebrew. To cut a covenant refers to the shedding of blood. See, when God made covenant with Abraham right at the beginning, Abraham had to cut animals into pieces, blood everywhere. He had to line up the pieces in two parallel lines and then the presence of God went through the middle to establish covenant through blood. So you don't make a covenant, you cut a covenant. That means you seal it in blood. And we can talk about blood brothers or making a blood oath and we can cut our wrists and like that and you make a solemn promise because it's sealed in blood that means it's as serious as a promise can be it's as unbreakable as a promise can be there are penalties if you break it on pain of death blood means this is life and death blood means it's unbreakable 
And on the night before he died, Jesus took a cup of red wine. He said to his friends, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. And then he chose to go and die to cut this new covenant of mercy, to seal it unbreakably forever in his blood. And his blood pays the penalty for our wickedness if we choose to grasp the Father's hand that we might forever be his people and he might be our God. That we might always, no matter what, know the Father's unfailing love and his blessing on our lives on the basis of a righteousness that's not our own. It's given to us freely by the death of Christ. For without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there's no forgiveness. But with the shedding of the blood of Jesus, God says, I will forgive your wickedness. Remember your sins no more. We're going to take communion in just a minute. If you're a Christian, I hope you already know you're forgiven. You're forgiven for all time. You're forgiven whatever you've done. I hope you know that already. But I just want to give you the chance this morning to do exactly what they did on that mountain, Joshua 8. Just the chance to reaffirm this covenant that you made long ago. You might not have realized what it meant when you made it, but you've made a covenant. He will be your God. You will be his people. You give him all that you are, all that you have. Your life is his. You're his possession, his chosen people. You belong to him. And his love will rest upon you and he will bless you forever and ever. That's the covenant you've made. So I want to give you a chance just to reaffirm that, to remember that, Lord, I'm yours today. And if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Maybe you've never made covenant with God. You've never accepted his offer. Well, I want to give you a chance to do that this morning. I want to give you a chance to choose life, to be wise I'm going to pray in a moment. And if that's what you would like to do, then just as we pray, I invite you consciously, deliberately, in your heart, reach out to God and say, Lord, I want you to be my God. I want to belong to you. I want to know your hand of blessing on my life. I don't want to live my own way anymore. I come to you. Will you cut covenant with me today? And if you can pray that, then come up and take communion. But I invite you also just talk to one of us afterwards. There'll be a prayer ministry team and we can help you sort that out, what you've done. So let's just pray, shall we? Let's pray together before we take communion. Father, we thank you beyond measure for the richness of your mercy in the blood of Christ given for us. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.